Um, our reading today is taken from Daniel 2. It's on page 884. After Ezekiel, before Hosea. That's Daniel 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time, because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and, we, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who could, can do what the king has asked. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's god, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke with him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream, dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house And explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he urged them to plead for mercy for the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise to the God of heaven forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. 
He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He, re he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven whom reveals the mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind are, as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and the clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept through them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings, the God of heaven, and has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that heart of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things into pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were 
partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron as in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly in iron and partly in clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the times of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to other people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God God has shown the king that will what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering of incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished him with gifts of with many gifts on him. He made him ruler of the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chief ministers over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained in the royal court. I'm not sure I want to watch the news anymore. I think one of the reasons why so many people are tuning into the the Johnny Depp, um, Amber Heard libel trial is because it's comparatively light relief compared to everything else that's going on in the world at the moment. Even if we switch off the news, though, we we can't escape the grim realities that that we face. When we hear of plague, recession, and war, they they sound like... um, They sound like plot lines from a movie franchise, but we're not in the cinema. This is real life. Some of us had the privilege recently of meeting some Ukrainian refugees, and uh, I met one such lady last week, and as I said hello and shook her hand, I I looked her in the eye and, and silently wondered to myself, what have those eyes seen? There's something about the grim realities that we face in life that makes us ask big questions. In 2020, the the question, why, was Google searched more frequently than ever before? Encountering the fragility of, of our planets, of our democracies, of our own humanity, sometimes all we can do is ask, why? Why is this happening? Why am I here? Why aren't things different? Finding the answers to those questions is not quite so easy. 
If you type, why is this happening into Google, then you're, you're going to get 3.8 billion results in uh, less than 0.53 seconds. But which of those answers is the right one? If you're kind of breathing in the air of postmodernism, then you're going to say that, well, the answer to the question is, well, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Each one of those 3.8 billion results has their own perspective, their own truth, their own experience. The answer is unknowable. The best we can do is discover our own answer as one needle in the massive haystack of why. In other words, faced with the grim realities of life, asking the big questions, the best we can do is uncertainty and confusion. The answer, it's out of reach. There is no comfort when faced by the grim realities of this world and asking the big questions. That's a cheerful start, isn't it? Um, but chapter 2 of Daniel gives us hope. Chapter, Dan, uh, chapter 2 of Daniel gives us hope. When we're looking for answers in a crumbling world, this is for us. It's a true story about a mystery revealed. We're going to consider it under three headings. The need for revelation, the nature of revelation, and the contents of revelation. In verses 1 to 13, we see the need for revelation. Nebuchadnezzar has been reigning for two years. He's the mighty ruler over a great empire. Yet as chapter 2 begins, we find him up in the quiet hours of the night, unable to sleep. And in the dark of 3 a.m. in the morning, all his power and all the kind of ceremony that surrounds him doesn't matter. It's all stripped away. He's just a little man troubled by nightmares. And this recurring dream is really haunting him. What could it mean? So the next day, he calls in the brains trust of Babylon. These are the magicians, the enchanters, the astrologers, all that sort. And surely one of these wise men is going to have the answer. Nebuchadnezzar says to them, I have a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. So, of course, the wise men say, sure, no problem. Just uh, tell us what the dream is, and we'll tell you what it means. They're clever, these wise men. That's why they're wise men. And they know that even if they don't really know what the dream means, they can just trot out some mumbo-jumbo that will make the king happy. Oh, yes, King Nebuchadnezzar, this means that you will be the mightiest king that there ever was, and your hair will never fall out. However, the king is no fool. He seems to think that these wise men might not be trustworthy. So he says in verses 5 and 6, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Uh, but if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it. And the heart rate of all these wise men doubles instantly, thudding with dread. This is not looking good. Understandably, they ask for a second time, let the king tell his servants what the dream was, then we'll interpret it. But the king is firm in what he has decided. 
He will not let them play for time. He sees their game and repeats the instruction, tell me the dream, then I'll know that you can actually interpret it. And the once studding hearts, uh, they're now really banging on rib cages as if they're trying to escape. Eyes are, uh, are glancing towards the palace doors and even the palace windows. How could these wise men possibly know what the king has asked? Understandably, there's probably more than just a hint of desperation in what they say next. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of a magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. And they say, rightly, no one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they don't live among humans. These wise wise men are, of course, right. Human wisdom, however well-informed, has its limits. Great and mighty Nebuchadnezzar has been completely thrown by this dream, and so he crumbles into irrationality and cruelty. He immediately orders the execution of all the wise men in Babylon, And sadly, that means Daniel too. We're going to pause the narrative there because verses 1 to 13 are are really helpful for us. They expose the fatal futility of human power and wisdom. Troubled by those big questions of life, where do you turn? Where do you look for answers? We search in all kinds of places, don't we? We turn to the wisdom of heroes, influencers who seem to have life sorted. We turn to the wisdom of crowds because surely if everyone believes something is right, they they must be correct. We turn to the wisdom of intuition. Even if my brain can't tell, my heart just feels what is right. But when it comes to the big questions... Human wisdom is fatally futile. You will not find the answers you're looking for that way. Um, Influences are only good at appearing to have the answers. Crowds tell you popular truths and popular lies in equal measure. Intuition is always blinded by bias. When we go to these sources of wisdom um, for understanding they will respond like Nebuchadnezzar's wise men. There is no one on earth who can do what you ask. Many people as well um, stake everything on the wisdom of science. I think if um, Nebuchadnezzar was alive today, he would have called in the wise men of Banstead and they would be the scientists. And science is great at answering questions, especially when they start with the word how. How does our circulatory system work? How do stars burn so brightly? We observe, measure, repeat. Uh, We evaluate and conclude results. And because science is so good at answering questions that start with how, some people exalt it as the only valid way of knowing anything. But that is foolish. Let's imagine that you've got a favorite ruler in your pencil case. And uh, it's wonderful at measuring length and width and depth. 
It's never let you down in a maths test. Brilliant. So you decide that you're going to use that ruler in all the tests that you've got on this month. In history, you write about the dimensions of the podium that Martin Luther King Jr. used for his I Have a Dream speech. In English literature, your review for Of Mice and Men goes like this. 23 by 17 centimetres. Some of the writing on page 3 is not in a straight line. And uh, in music, your percussion is strong. Uh, but that's all you've got. Rulers are great, but there's more to life than what can be measured in centimetres. Science is great, but there's more to life than what can be observed and tested. Just like every form of human wisdom, it is limited. So we need another way to know. All forms of human wisdom are limited. So we need another way to know if we're going to get the answers to our big questions. These verses show us the need for revelation. When we look at verses 14 to 30, we discover this other way of knowing. This is the nature of revelation. Troubled, raging Nebuchadnezzar has just ordered the execution of all of Babylon's wise men. And it's obviously bad news for Daniel and his friends. The stomp of marching boots arrives at Daniel's door. There's an ominous knock and he opens the door to Arioch, this intimidating soldier of King Nebuchadnezzar, captain, commander of the king's guard. This doesn't look good. He's there to execute them. But here in the story, we get a bit of foreshadowing that Daniel seems to have a wisdom that the wise men of Babylon don't have. Verse 14, if you look at it there in your Bibles, specifically highlights Daniel's wisdom and tact as he speaks to this intimidating soldier. Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And then to the king himself, as Daniel asks for more time, such is Daniel's manner, apparently, that the king responds to him completely different, differently to the way he responded to the other wise men when they were playing for time. In his wisdom, Daniel also knows that the time for panic is actually the time for prayer. So he gathers together with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The wise men had rightly said, no one on earth can give the answer that the king was looking for. So Daniel and his friends plead to the God of heaven in verse 18 for mercy. I think the fact that Daniel urges his friends to pray shows the high priority that Daniel puts on prayer in his life. We're going to see this in other points in the book as well, and, and we, would do well, we would do well to emulate it. These are young men, understandably scared at the imminent threat of violent death, and they're praying that they don't get executed. But later that night, this mystery is revealed to Daniel in a vision. So he rushes into his friends and says, Eureka, I've cracked it. See how clever I am. He doesn't do that at all, does he? Uh, he gives all the credit to the God of heaven. Verse 20. 
Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Wisdom and power belong to God. Wisdom and power are given to people by God. And centrally, he is the one who reveals mysteries. So receiving this revelation from God, Daniel goes into the king. And uh, after granting him more time, after waiting for an answer to the dream that had been troubling him night after night, Nebuchadnezzar asks for the third time in this chapter, are you able to tell me what my dream was and what the interpretation is? After all these sleepless nights, after all these tiresome wise men, finally this king gets the answer he was so desperate to hear, no. Daniel says no. Verse 27, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But... There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Daniel is emphatic that though this revelation comes through him, it does not come from him. It comes from the God of heaven, the revealer of mysteries. And let's pause the story again here. Maybe the word revelation seems alien to you. Maybe it just seems like a bit of churchy jargon. Maybe it's not part of the way you think. Revelation is, is another way of knowing. It's another way of knowing. As I said earlier, there are uh, other ways that we can know a certain amount of truth from heroes, from crowds, from intuition and from science. But revelation is truth made known by God. It's so often dismissed entirely as a category of knowing which is a tragedy because it's unique among all the other forms of wisdom. We're asking questions, aren't we, that, that no one on earth can answer. So why would we not ask the one in heaven? He's the one who does have all the answers. As Daniel says, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. He may not speak to you in a vision, but he will speak to you in his words. As we open the pages of scripture, as we listen to them read, we are hearing the voice of God. Though these words, yes, they came through people who, who wrote them down thousands of years ago, those words did not come from those people. Rather, they came from God. God working in people, through people, by his Holy Spirit, revealing truth, speaking in them. One other thing to note from verses 27 to 30, 
by repetition, it's made clear that this revelation is for Nebuchadnezzar's benefit. It says, so that you may know, so that you may understand. And I don't want to spoil the story of Daniel too much, but this is the first step in the personal testimony of how this king came to personal faith in the God of the Bible. And I pray that this would be your first step in your story too. The purpose of Revelation is not to puff us up with special secret knowledge. The purpose of God's revelation is that you would know God himself. At this point, perhaps we're feeling like Nebuchadnezzar. Come on already, I want to know what the dream is and what it means. Well, uh, in verses 31 to 49, uh, we get there. Here is the content of Revelation. As Daniel says, uh, he sees, uh, or in, in his dream, the king saw a statue. And you can see the statue behind me there. Such statues were not uncommon in the ancient world, but this one was gigantic and it was dazzlingly awe-inspiring. As you can see on the screen behind me, there are four parts to the statue. So at the top, you've got a, um, a head of gold. There's a silver chest, bronze belly and thighs, and then there are uh, iron uh, legs, and uh, at the feet, it becomes uh, iron mixed with clay. The gold and silver, that suggests wealth. The bronze suggests strength and, uh, and power, as does the iron. But the kind of mixture at the bottom implies that there is a fundamental weakness here. And, and this becomes really clear in the next part of the king's dream, because he sees a rock that is not shaped by human hands, and it strikes the feet of iron mixed with clay. The whole thing comes crumbling down, smashes into dust, and the wind blows everything away. Uh, the, not quite everything, though, actually, because the rock remains, and it grows and grows and grows into a mountain that fills the entire earth. It's quite the dream, isn't it? Well might the king be troubled by it. So Daniel explains what it means from verses 36 onwards. The four-part statue refers to four human kingdoms, successive human empires. Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, they are the head of gold. Verse 38 recognizes the might and power of King Nebuchadnezzar, although it also points out that that just comes from God. Uh, the silver chest and arms, that's the kingdom that will follow Babylon, although it won't be quite as strong. Daniel then says that the, the bronze belly and thighs, that refers to a kingdom that will rule over the entire earth. And then there's the legs and feet of iron mixed with clay. That refers to a kingdom with the strength of iron yet divided and mixed with fragility. It is appropriate to think of these four parts as four specific real kingdoms in human history. So obviously Babylon, and then you've got the Medo-Persian Empire that followed, then you've got Greece that came after that, and the Roman Empire as well. Uh, the descriptions do fit strikingly, but we shouldn't limit this vision as if it implied only to those human kingdoms. They're actually relevant to 
every human power that has and ever will existed. They're all destined to fall. We're reminded of that crumbling fragility every day. But in verse 44, Daniel's interpretation turns to the rock and the mountain. Uh, Let's uh, read that. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. I think we know that the rock that smashed the feet of this statue in the time of Rome is, of course, Jesus Christ. As the rock was not cut by human hands, so Jesus was uh, not of human origin either. And as the rock becomes a huge mountain, so Christ began God's everlasting kingdom here on earth. He died to win a citizenship of forgiven sinners, and he rose to welcome in people like you and I into his kingdom. One day, this mountain will fill the entire earth. That's referring to the time when Christ returns and brings God's kingdom in its fullness. It will be a new world that never crumbles and everyone will bow to Jesus as the undisputed king. Every other human power will be like dust in the wind. As Babylon, Medo-Persia and the rest are nowhere to be seen today, so all human empires will fall. Google, Amazon, Facebook won't be around for long. The US, China and Russia won't rule for long. They are all temporary blips. But the rule of Christ will fill the earth forever. Over every inch of creation, Christ declares mine. And so, uh, through Daniel, the king has the answer he was looking for. So Nebuchadnezzar bows, giving praise to the God of gods and Lord of kings. He also promotes God's servants, uh, Daniel as ruler over the province of Babylon and his friends as high-powered officials too. The way this has worked out, it's, it almost seems like God has been ruling all along. The human power and wisdom of Babylon has been shown for what it really is, fragile, futile. And so here's the conclusion that we're all meant to draw from this true story from God's word. Here's the message in one short sentence. If you're thinking about what Daniel chapter 2 means, here it is. Only God reveals and only God rules. Only God reveals and only God rules. Why do we need to know this? Because as Christians, we are surrounded by statues like the one in the king's dream. Monuments to human power and wisdom. On the one hand, confronted by such, uh, such power, we can feel small, insignificant and vulnerable. Surely the church is about to be consigned to the pages of history under the swelling tide of popular opposition. If the world can't stand God, how can I stand for him? 
On the other hand, seeing the cracks starting to appear in these statues of human power and wisdom, that can also be unsettling, particularly when we see what's going on in the news. Those are are cracks, aren't they? As the world around us shows signs of crumbling, will we fall along with it? We all go through times where life feels fragile personally. Will we crumble? In both cases, not at all. Whether you're currently faced with the illusion of human power or the reality of crumbling human power, know that only God reveals and only God rules. The Lord Jesus has come and is coming. If you are with him, you have something solid to hold on to. Even if your retirement portfolio starts to plunge just years before you're set to retire, even if your health deteriorates, even if death takes those you love, you have something strong, lasting, and forever that will never be taken away. That is yours if you are in Christ. This is the answer to the big questions. Why am I here? What, what is, why is this happening? Why aren't things different? All of history, all of your life is about Jesus building an everlasting kingdom that will never crumble. Are you playing your part in the building of that kingdom? That is a labor that will last. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we, we confess that often we are so intimidated by human power and wisdom. And we confess that so often we are unsettled when the cracks appear. But please help us to set our eyes on Christ and his kingdom. I pray that that would give us unsettled, fearful lost people, a hope that will never diminish, a security that will last and sustain us. In Jesus' name, amen.